last uh, two weeks. This is week three in our series of messages entitled Christian or Disciple. Um, before I begin, I'd like to tell you about uh, two uh, telephone conversations I had this last week. One from the recent past and one uh, in the recent future. Uh, I talked to uh, Brandon Hovey uh, on Tuesday and we had a nice uh, long conversation. Uh, he's been, uh, this is his third Sunday at his new church in Escalon, California. And I asked him how things are going. He said, things are going well. He said, I'm still trying to figure out how to preach every Sunday. You know, that's always the, the challenge of a, of a lead pastor. But he said, the girls are in school. Uh, they found, uh, they're, in a, they're renting an apartment now month to month, but they found a house that they really like. So he asked for prayer uh, for you uh, that uh, homes in California are much more expensive so that they can figure out the financing for that. But uh, he said things are going well in the church and he wanted to send his love and greetings to all of you. So that's from Brandon Hovey. And then on Wednesday, I talked to Scott Owis. And Scott is, will be our transition pastor that will come on board in mid-September. And uh, he will uh, be your lead transition pastor through the transition. And he'll be preaching and leading and along with Tim uh, doing the pastoral ministry of our church. And I've known Scott uh, for many years. Uh, he and I used to play basketball together in a league back in San Diego. But uh, Scott is very excited about coming and uh, very thrilled. And he told me, uh, I can't tell you how blessed I've been by your leaders. Now, as you know, uh, Andy and Stacy and Brad and some of the others have been uh, working through all of this, and uh, he said, I'm just really excited about coming and, um, and uh, just ministering. And we just had a wonderful time of fellowship, and he wanted to ask me some questions. He, he asked me, who were the biggest sinners, and I mentioned some of you. And No, I didn't do any of that. So. <laughs> he'll figure that out on his own. Yeah, I see that hand. Uh, yeah, uh, so he'll figure that out on his own. But uh, anyway, I'm very excited. Uh, Scott is an amazing guy, and he has been called to be tra a transition pastor from church to church, depending on uh, this moving of the Spirit. So anyway, that's all very, very good. So, well, anyway, this morning I'd like to begin our message with uh, just a brief prayer. And I would invite you, once again, if you will, to extend your hands in uh, just kind of a spirit of receptivity as we ask the Lord to minister to us today. Father, here we are, uh, your people at Hope Covenant Church, one small expression of the kingdom of God. Here we are, Christ followers who desire to serve you and love you and live for you in such a way that the world will see. And they will see how we love each other. And they will see how we love the world. And because of that, they will say, I, I want that. I, I want that in my life. And so, Father, here's my prayer for today. I pray that our hearts and our ears and our minds would be open to your spirit that your word would come into this place and would move among us and transform us. We thank you, Father, that your word is powerful and has the ability to literally divide our hearts and to cut away the chaff and to welcome that which is from you. So, Father, may your word do its work in our hearts today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen. Thank you very, very much. Well, let's uh, catch up, a little bit of review. Uh, some of you have been traveling on vacation. We have some new folks with us as always. And so let me just kind of catch you up on where we've been. So you saw in the video, the premise is this, 
that the word Christian and all of its derivatives, Christendom, Christianity, um, was not used ever by Jesus. Uh, it was never even uh, a word that was considered by Jesus. Um, but it became a word later. It started with, as far as we know historically, the first one to use it was uh, Nero and uh, other people who were talking about this movement, this Christ-centered movement, talking about that movement, and they referred to them as Christians. Now, Nero did that. He called them Christians. Um, and they said because they follow that guy, Crestus, who was killed, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so the word Christian was used in the New Testament of people outside the church looking in the church and saying, those people are Christians. Now, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus uh, had a different name for his followers. And that name was what? Disciple. Christ follower. Member of the way. And so all of these uh, names and terms were used exclusively in the New Testament, but the word Christian was not. Now, here's why I think it's important uh, not to be labeled just a Christian. Now, some of you are going to say, now, don't take that away from me. I've been saying Christian, you know, all my life, and now you're making me stumble when I talk about it. Good. Okay, that's my plan. Uh, so, because I've done that. So, I've, I've, I've changed from talking about Christian to, you hear me say it all the time, a Christ follower, right? Or disciple. So uh, here's why that's important. The word Christian can be defined any way you want it to be. The word Christian can be defined uh, as somebody who lives in America. I, I'm a Christian. I was born in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> it can be used as anybody who believes in God. I believe in God, therefore I'm a Christian. Um, I go to church, therefore I'm a Christian. I've been baptized, therefore I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus even. Therefore, I'm a Christian. And the word Christian can be... And if you were to go outside and talk to 10 people who are not at church today, right, you'll get 10 different answers what a Christian is. 10 different answers. It can be defined any way you want to, but the word disciple. Now, that's a very, very narrow definition, a very exclusive definition. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. One who says something like this. Now, Jesus, I have a relationship issue in my life. And I'm trying to figure out what to do in that relationship, how to approach it. Maybe it's a conflict. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you to help me because I want to do this relationship the way you would do this relationship. And so I'm asking you, and here's how Jesus answers us mostly. He also answers us by his spirit living within us. But I, I want to ask you, Jesus, what should I do in this relationship situation? And before Jesus have, has an opportunity to answer you, before he can answer you through his word or by his spirit in your prayer life, before he answers you, here's your answer to his request, and it's this. Yes. Before I even know what Jesus is going to say, even if it's going to be really hard and difficult, even if it means breaking up with somebody, even if it means staying in a marriage that I, I'm not happy in, before I even hear what Jesus has to say, my answer is yes. 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 Yes, Jesus, whatever you want of me, that's a disciple. Now, that's not a Christian. A Christian can say, it doesn't matter how I live my life because God will forgive me. A Christian can say, God wants me to be happy, so I'll be in this sexual, relation, sexual relationship that's not from God. He wants me to be... So a Christian can say all kinds of things, but a disciple is a very narrow definition. So 
outsiders would talk about Christians, now let's go back to the first century and call them Christians. But there was something that Jesus gave his followers. It was, it was a brand. Now, he didn't say, I want you to take this and use it as a brand, but it became that in, with, with the disciples themselves. And it was the brand or the symbol that he used was the cross. Now, how many of you today have on your person a necklace, earring, uh, ring, tattoo, something like that on your person today, a cross? How many of you have that? Okay, raise your hands. Okay, it looks like maybe 30, 40 people. A cross is a very, in fact, you'll see it in a lot of people <laughs> that have nothing to do with the cross because they would say, what? I'm a Christian. But the real meaning of the symbol is very, very powerful. Cross. It was used in the, with the early disciples and it was used everywhere. So let's talk about the spirit of what was happening in the first century. So this label, this brand was starting to be seen around town and it's one of the things that Nero hated. He hated seeing the cross and what it represented. He thought it was brutal. And so uh, there was all of these uh, crosses that the, the, the disciples started wearing, but it didn't really become a movement or really become that important until about 300 AD. Um, so let, let's take a look at what Rome looks like today, okay? Let's take a look at that. Now, there's all kinds of pictures. Look at the Colosseum. There's a cross there. Uh, the burning of Christians, look at Nero's Circus, a uh, bottom right. Uh, all of the crosses. And what you'll find is that there are more crosses in Rome than any other city in the world. Okay, more crosses in Rome than any other city. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now let's do a little historical work. I love this stuff, right? I love this stuff. Well, let's do a little historical work. So, um, by the way, there, there's a cross uh, at the Colosseum where they used to shuttle the slaves in. Slaves used to go in there and, uh, excuse me, the Christians, the Christ followers, they take them in there to kill them. There's a cross there where that door used to be. So let's, uh, let's, let's look at this. Let's imagine this scenario. So there's um, three families in Rome that um, have had to leave Rome. They can't get a job. Uh, Nero is looking, this is 60, 64 AD. Nero is looking for people to um, uh, take to Nero's circus and kill as an example for other Christians so he could stop the movement. And so these three families flee Rome and they go to the outside, maybe 30 miles outside of Rome and they're in this uh, barn and they're sitting there and you have an opportunity to come and talk to them. Now what you notice about these three families is that the children are terrified. What's happened? Why can't we be home? What about our friends? The adults are shivering. We don't know what's going to happen. We have seen what happens in Nero's circus. We have seen what happens in the Colosseum. We have seen wild lions and, and Asian bears and dogs consume human beings, Christians. And when they didn't have enough light to continue torturing Christians, they would hang Christians on crosses around Nero's circus and light them on fire so they would have more light to see other Christians go. So this is what they had seen. This is what they experienced. And this is what they were expecting would happen to them if they continued to follow Christ. So they weren't going to give up Jesus, so they ran out uh, away from the city and they're in this barn huddled up and you come to them and say, let me tell you something. A staggering thought, right? That um, within 300 years 
of now. You can go to this place, Rome, that you know so well, and you will find crosses everywhere. And they look at it and say, why, why would we see that? And, and, and you would tell them, well, listen, and the, here's what's important. The cross doesn't even represent crucifixion. The cross represents one carpenter who was crucified. The one that you serve, the one that you love, Jesus Christ. The one who, the, those crosses that are all over Rome will be identified as this is a place where you can find Jesus. And they look at you and say, are you nuts? <laughs> the only thing that matters is that Rome looks like it's going to be eternal. <laughs> it's that powerful. And the God that they worship is Jupiter. And Jupiter will always be eternal in Rome. And you tell them, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but 300 years from now, and even, listen to this, 2,000 years from now, Rome will have more crosses per capita than any other city in the world. Can you imagine that? And those three families huddled in fear say, I can't imagine it. How on earth is that possible? This little movement of us, and they're killing us fast. By the way, in the first 325 years, um, at at, at AD 325, there were about 7 million Christians on the planet. And up until that time, 2 million had been martyred. 2 million Christians in the first 300 years had been killed. And thousands, tens of thousands of them had been killed under Nero. So that's what they were facing. And they couldn't begin to imagine the scenario that the place where Jupiter is the god of the day and Jupiter is the one that we worship, that someday in that place where they were trying to kill Christians, there would be more crosses and more Christ followers than you could even possibly imagine. You would say, did you know that one day the city of Rome will be adorned everywhere with crosses? And these crosses will be everywhere, the roadsides, buildings, and these crosses will not just represent Rome or they will not represent crucifixion, but this one crucified Jewish carpenter that happened 30 years ago. The one that you worship today, you would say to these families, can you imagine that? Millions upon millions of tourists go to Rome every year. And what they see everywhere is crosses. How did we get from Nero's circus to that place? Let me tell you how. The gospel of Jesus Christ was delivered through this small handful of people, these families who embraced Jesus. They embraced that truth. And then Jesus said, I want you to take that message and I want you to take it into the world and I want you to tell people about my love for them. And I want you to do everything in your power to show them uh, my love for them. And so they had this gospel. And as I've said many times, they had absolutely no leverage no political leverage, no financial leverage, no educational leverage, no economic leverage. They had no leverage whatsoever. And that gospel of Jesus Christ that was contained in their hearts and in their hands was given to people, and it was delivered to people in only one way, and that way was love. No wars, no swords, no stampedes, no bullhorn guy, no burning down abortion clinics, none of that. It was done through one thing. It was done through love. And then you say these families huddled there. Um, you know uh, that where Nero's circus used to be? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Someday there will be a, a cathedral built there in honor of that itinerant fisherman 
Peter, who Jesus called to be, there'll be a, a, a cathedral there in honor of, can you imagine? No, we can't imagine that. I just can't believe that. That's what's going to ha- happen when you, you three little families, terrified, I understand, will take the good news of Jesus Christ and deliver it to the world. That's what happened historically. Not because Christ followers became Christians, but because they took Jesus seriously, his teachings, his words, his life, and they became disciples. And disciples changed the world. Christians almost ruined the world. Christians uh, started wars and Christians started battles and Christians killed uh, all the, 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 the Mongols and all of the pagans. Christians did all that, but disciples, they changed the world through loving people in a most powerful way. Today we're going to read the speech that got all of this started, that got this movement started. Now, the speech is very powerful. It's one of the well-known speeches in the world. Um, it's even more well-known than JFK's speech, um, you know, or a Martin Luther King's speech. It's a very important speech. And we find it, as you would guess, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's entitled, The Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is a revolutionary, world-changing, shut-down-the-Roman-Empire kind of speech. The disciples are fired up. All of the Christ followers are fired up. There are thousands of them on the hillside, and they're ready to hear this speech. I mean, they're ready to go. Let's do this. And, uh, and so Jesus began by saying these words, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then I can almost imagine here, one of the disciples, maybe Peter, saying, "Uh, excuse me, (laughs) I have a question. (laughs) Peter was always asking the questions, interrupting the speech, you know, the transforming speech. He said, meek, is that what you want? Meek? Look at this crowd. If we arm this crowd, and there's a lot more than these, we can do a lot more than meek. We can overwhelm Rome. We can get the freedom back for the Jews who have not had their freedom for a long time. We, meek is what you're asking? Jesus said, put your hand down and listen. <laughs> Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, excuse me, I, I have another question. This is Andrew, okay? Um, merciful? When have we ever seen Rome be merciful? When have we ever seen anyone be merciful toward our movement? When is that? Andrew, put your hand down. I've got more to say. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the speech. 
<laughs> That's the world-changing speech. That's what's going to get us our freedom back. That's what's going to put God, our Heavenly Father, uh, forefront over Jupiter and everybody. That's the speech that's going to do it? Jesus said, yeah, that's the speech. And then the disciples probably said, you know, well, maybe, because that wasn't much of a speech, maybe he's going to do some miracles, and that'll kind of punch the speech a little bit. Uh, because, quite honestly, the disciples said the speech is going nowhere. <laughs> Let me review, Jesus. Um, if we're poor and sad and meek and merciful and hungry and peaceful, and persecuted, and insulted, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what's going to change the world, right? We're going to be those things? That's, that's your speech to change the world, really? Is that it? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, what about saber-rattling? What about William Wallace, paint your face blue? What about draw your sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's disciple? Why, what about that? And in spite of that speech that kind of fell like a dud, 325 years later, the message of Jesus is everywhere. And listen, nobody's worshiping Jupiter. Nobody. <laughs> 325 years later, the world is transformed by that speech. Because the disciples said, okay, if that's what you want us to do, we'll put our swords away, we'll put our bullhorns away, we'll put our anger away, we'll put our shame away, and we'll go out and we'll love people, and we'll be broken, and we'll be peace-filled, and we'll be merciful, and we'll do all this. We don't get it, but we'll do it because that's what you did it, and when they did it, it changed the world. That's what changed the world. No war has ever changed the world. Come on, think about it. World War II, at the end of every war the United States has been in, the president has said, now, finally, we have lasting peace. And it's never happened. 20 minutes after D-Day, or excuse me, 20 minutes after D-E-Day, uh, when Europe and all of the world was done with World War II, thank God it's over. 20 minutes later, the Russians were attacking Berlin, and the, our allies, the Russians, became our enemies. And the Cold War started. 20 minutes it took before, after World War II. Every time there's a war, there's another war to prove that that war was maybe right or maybe wrong. Every single time. God says, that's not the way we're going to do it. Now, it may be politically correct. It may be what you have to do to defend yourselves. But listen, it's not going to change the world. It's just going to change a few people, kill some people, other people will live, and that's what will happen. But this merciful thing? How's that going to work? And then Jesus, very brilliant um, uh, speech maker said, okay, let me give you two word pictures of what it means to be peaceful and merciful and hungry and thirsty and persecuted. Let me give you two word pictures. And so we find these in verses uh, 13 and 14. Listen to verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for us anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So Jesus said, I'm going to give you an example, two examples, uh, two uh, examples that will help you, metaphors of how you can be this um, uh, poor, sad, meek, merciful person that will love people and change people like I have, Jesus said. And uh, what I need you to do, first of all, is to be salt. Um, now, everybody knew that salt is a preservative, it preserves things. Added to food, it preserves decomposition. If you don't have salt, then meat and other things uh, rot and they stink. 
And Jesus said, here's what I want you to be. I want you to be preservatives of the entire world. If you don't preserve, the culture is going to rot. The world's going to stink, and we all know what that's like. He was speaking into a world where might makes right. He was speaking into a world where the sword has the power. He was speaking into the world where Rome was dominating more and more of the world because they were mightier and they were more powerful and they had more power over. And he was doing all of that. And in the midst of that, he's saying, I want you to go out and I want you to be salt. Now, what's interesting is that uh, in Jesus' day, uh, might is right was the philosophy, just like it is today in our world. And, uh, but yet, women had no uh, position. Women had no leverage. Children certainly had no leverage whatsoever, no rights at all. Uh, there was a, 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 a world that was completely devoid of mercy, of compassion and generosity. I mean, those were virtues for the weak, the Romans would have said. Those, those are things that you find in the women's section of the Bible bookstore. <laughs> you know, compassion and mercy and all that. You know, we, we don't need that stuff, right? But to the disciples, he said, listen, I know you have no standing, but you are the last stand. <laughs> you have no standing, but you are the last stand. You 12 and my other followers that I've had that he gained over those three years, you're it. We know of 512 disciples that are mentioned in the New Testament. So there's at least 500 of them. You're it. You have no standing and you have no power, but you're the last stand to share this good news of Jesus Christ. Look at the first century. Sometimes, and I have a tendency to do this, I think, look at the good old days. Okay, for me, the good old days were the 60s and the 70s. And uh, I look back at the good old days and say, well, things are, were better then. They were, you know, the construction and houses was better then. And, this, and then you go back and you look at the good old days, and those good old days weren't very good. And people in the 60s were saying the good old days about pre-World War II. And there's always been this good old day center. Well, here's the bottom line. The good old days never have been and never will be until Jesus returns. Then we'll have the good old days to talk about. So, but contrast the first century to our, century, our world today. Now, I know our world today is kind of messed up and, you know, goofy, and we do things backwards sometimes. It just contrast the first century. Um, in the first century, there was, again, no compassion, no mercy, no generosity. The, the Judeo-Christian influence in the first century, uh, with the teachings of Jesus in mind, became demonstrably life-changing. Because of Jesus' teaching and these disciples, these Christ followers who were sharing the good news of Christ's love, women begin to have status for the first time. Sorry, 1973 was not the beginning of the women's liberation movement. I'm sorry. Uh, Jesus' words were. Paul's words were. That was the beginning of women having a position. Children who had no value, and many cultures would discard children. They would sacrifice them. They would throw them away. Um, Jesus said, no, children, suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. What? <laughs> the disciples said, the kids are bugging you. No, no, you don't understand. Kids don't bug me. Religious people do, but kids don't bug me at all. So you let them come to me. And so everything was changed around the value of women and children. What had value, what had worth. Jesus said, listen, how you treat these people and your enemies this is how they will know whether or not you're one of my disciples. How you love each other. And how you love your enemies. How you love each other. How you love your enemies. Salt preserves our culture. 
and it's preserved with love. And then he says, let me give you another, another word picture, another metaphor. And uh, here's, here, here's what he said in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Notice always, the good deeds are never good unto themselves. Good deeds are always for the purpose of pointing to God. Good, what you do, good for someone else, always points to God. And that's what he's saying in this verse. Okay, so that's, that's my other word picture, Jesus said. Uh, but Jesus, some of the disciples, Peter might have said, or Andrew, he might have said, can't I just be a Christian? <laughs> It'd be a lot easier, you know. I could still keep my job. I could be a clear-all Christian, you know, only my hairdresser knows. Some of you have no idea what I just said, you know. <laughs> Unless you're over 50, sorry about that. You can be a hidden Christian. You can be a Lone Ranger Christian, you know, cover your eyes and, your, you know, wear a mask. You know, I, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I, I get by at work because nobody knows I'm a Christian. Isn't that amazing? All of you must be very gifted at hiding that. And so this idea that um, to be light, are you kidding me? People will see me, and those people huddled in that farm, in that barn, what if they see me, and what am I going to do, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and so can't I just be a Christian? I mean, I, I prayed my magic prayer, and so just please leave me alone. Jesus said, no, a city placed on a hill, that's an interesting phrase, cannot be hidden. Let me tell you what that means. It means that someone was strategically placed on that hill with a light. You are strategically placed in Chandler or Gilbert or some other community of Arizona for a specific purpose that God has for you. It's not so that you can work at Intel. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. But li li listen to this word in Acts chapter 17. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Okay? He said, I, I want these, Christ, these people, these lovers of Jesus to inhabit the whole earth. And listen to this. And he determined what? The times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Let me, let me say it this way. You have been strategically placed in this building on this Sunday to hear this message so that you can go out there and be light. I don't know if I can say it any clearer than that. God is, some of you thought, oh, man, I don't want to go to church today. Uh, I'm tired. You know, I stayed up too late last night. Go to bed earlier. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I don't like Dwayne. You know, I'm mad that he's leaving. You know, I, I don't know if I want to go to church today. You know what? You know, but you're here. <laughs> and God has, listen, he has strategically placed you here today to hear this message so that you will take that light that's in your soul into the world. Some of us sometimes say something like this. See how he goes to church. Oh, that's wonderful. That's how we read that passage. Or see how he just wants to be a Christian. Or see how he lives a life uh, that pleases himself and his family and, and all of those things. But here, here's what Jesus is saying to us through this amazing speech and these two illustrations. 
See how they love one another. Look at how, um, look at how the men at Hope Covenant Church treat their wives. Look at how they talk about their wives at work. Look at those, those teenagers over here with Anthony right now. Look at how those teenagers um, uh, act, behave at school. How they treat uh, the, 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 the kids that are set off to the side. Look how they show respect to their teachers. L- look how those people at Intel and Orbital and other places, look how they, they do their very best work and they're always generous and kind with their compliments to the people around them. Look at, look at those people. Those people who, something's different about them. And, and then you ask them, well, what's different about you? And say, well, I'll, I'll tell you what's different about me. It's like you heard from Scott last Sunday in the baptism. Uh, he told his friend, well, it's because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm living a different life now. Oh, really? <laughs> but they asked you. Why did they ask you? Because they saw your good deeds that pointed to Jesus. God has called you to be salt. God has called you to be light. See how they love one another. The good deeds are to be extraordinary. And when the world sees those good deeds, just like it did in the first century A.D., it was a dot connector. The Romans started saying, now wait a minute, these people are dying for their faith. Uh, We're telling the husbands that we won't kill your family if you deny Christ, and they're not denying Christ. There's something going on here, and we don't know what it is, and they're trying to peek inside this movement, and though they discover that these people inside this movement aren't weirdos, but they're actually trying to love the people that hate them. What's going on with that? Outsiders everywhere. Well, I don't want to be a Christian. Christians started the crusade. (laughs) Christians have a bad history when it comes, if you look at history. But disciples will change your life. But some said, you know what? I'm I'm a Christian. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, Dwayne, this stuff that you're talking about is just way outside my comfort zone. Um, I'm a Christian. I punched my ticket. When I was 10 years old, I said, yes to Jesus. I punched my ticket. I'm good to go. Just leave me alone. And Jesus would say, listen, that's not good enough. But some of you would say, you know what? I want to be a follower of Jesus. Now, what's the difference between a follower of Jesus and a Christian? Well, there's a lot of ways that you could characterize the difference, but here's the biggest difference. Christ followers, disciples, just show up. They just show up. Well, there's a need. Uh, my neighbor, something's going wrong with my neighbor. Well, they just show up. Um, a single mom's having a hard time with her kids. Well, they just show up. Well, the church needs some money so that they can give more to missions. They just show up. Well, there's this group of people at Streetlight, these women who have been taken off the street, who have been prostituted, and, and, and it's really hard to keep them there and to get them grounded and help them to find. They just show up. San Marcos Elementary School, these Title I kids that are on support for breakfast and lunch, that don't have shoes and backpacks. What what do the people at Hope Covenant Church do? They just show up. They just do it. That's what a disciple does. The light and the salt can't be contained. They just show up and they live their lives fully for Jesus. And when somebody asks them why, they tell them, it's Jesus Christ alive in me. I don't do this because I'm a nice guy, because I'm not. 
I do this because Christ is alive in me, and I do it, and I just show up. Here's what Jesus would say to us today. Don't be a Christian. You know, if you just want to be a Christian, don't even use the name. Just say you believe in God, or let's just say you're religious, or how many, and I get so tired of this, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. What on earth does that mean? That means you look at a crystal, or who cares what it means? But you know what you want to be? You want to be a disciple. You don't need crystals. You don't need the horoscope. You need to know what Jesus says and what Jesus wants. And before he can even tell you what he wants, you're saying to him at the top of your voice, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It's going to be hard because my relationship's hard. It's going to be hard because I don't have very much money. It's going to be hard because I'm going to be embarrassed. But yes, it's exactly what I'm going to do. You are a follower of Jesus. Because you're a follower of Jesus, there is light and there is salt in you. I get, I get uh, some emails from kids that were in my youth group in the early 1970s. Do the math. Uh, you know how old I am. I'm 66. And I was a young youth pastor, and I had all these kids, 100 high school kids, and I didn't know if I was making any difference. We'd have Wednesday night Bible study. This was, this was out of my comfort zone because I'm not a charismatic guy, spiritually charismatic. And they would have kids in there that were weeping and falling on their faces and repenting. And I, and I look at Sherry and said, I don't know what to do. She said, well, just keep preaching. I don't know what to do either, you know. And it was just this extraordinary movement. And, but, I, but these kids were drug, druggies and they came from bad homes. Remember, this is 70, 72, 73, 74. And it was all kinds of, most of the kids weren't from church backgrounds. And they had long hair and they had these new things called tattoos. And they had all kinds of stuff going on. And, but they fell on their face and they said they wanted love. I get emails from these kids that now are grandparents. They say, Dwayne, we just want you to know that not only are we following the Lord, my kids are following the Lord and my grandkids are following the Lord. And I say to myself, I didn't know what I was doing, but here's what I tried to do back in 1972, 73. I tried to be salt for these kids. I didn't know what I was doing. I tried to be light. I tried to let the love of Jesus shine out of me. So yesterday, um, yesterday morning, I had a meeting with uh, Dave and Paula Edmonds. Most of you have heard that Dave has been diagnosed with cancer. And so we got together to pray, to read scripture. And here's what, when I asked Dave and Paula kind of what they wanted, they didn't use these words, but this is exactly what they said. In, in these coming days, we don't know what God has in store for us, but, but here's what they were saying. How can I be salt and light during this time? It's a disciple. A Christian says, why me, God? You know, why did you pick on me? A disciple says, okay, in this time, such a time as this, how can I be salt? How can I, be, how can I make a difference? How can I do this journey well? How can I be a witness to my five kids, my five kids that I love so much? How can I do this so that they see Jesus? That's being salt. That's being light. Salt always preserves Light always shows the way. Let's don't settle for being a Christian. Let's be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Because then we have the potential to change the world. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, what we're being called to do today uh, through this passage, this most amazing speech that was ever given, is just to show up over and over and over again a pregnant teenager 
a kid on drugs, a life that's falling apart. Just show up. We can't heal them, we can't fix them, but we can sure love them and we can sure point them to Jesus. Lord, help us to understand what it means to just show up. Father, here's my prayer for this amazing congregation. I pray that every one of them would be done with being a Christian. And they would say, Lord, from this day forward, I desire to be a follower of Jesus. I desire to look like Jesus, to smell like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. I need that to be a follower of his. And I give my life and my commitment to him. Lord, thank you for this word that you have given us and thank you for this congregation that receives it. And may now, Father, you imprint this in our hearts and our souls. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, amen.